Hey Singapore, welcome to episode 9 of SG Sports Uncut. I'm your host Raj Kumar and Uncut is the show that brings you closer to our Team Singapore athletes and officials. Well, for the first episode of the new decade, we are focusing on Singapore football. Our Singapore national team are currently ranked in the 150s and the last time they actually qualified for the semi-finals of the Suzuki Cup was in 2012 when we last won the region's premier football tournament. Meanwhile, our SEA Games squad, which is the under-23 team, they have not qualified for the final since 1989. So to address Singapore's current football status and what's coming up in the next couple of years, join me and my three guests as we debate about Singapore football. Hi guys, welcome to episode 9 of SG Sports Uncut. Today it's all about Singapore football. Bernard Tan, Deputy President of Singapore Football Association, will start with you. Uh, we're just into the second week of 2020. Perhaps you can start by giving us a brief overview of where Singapore football is today. Thank you Raj, thank you for having me and a uh, pleasure to be part of this panel. Um, before I start, I just want to make a few statements about general football, you know. Mm. So I have been involved in soccer as a fan since I was seven years old uh, and the administration of uh, Singapore football for about seven years and during that time I've had the opportunity to obviously learn a tremendous amount of the game. Mm. What I've also learned is the game is changing rapidly. So two things <coughs> Uh, 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 I, I can bring to mind right now is first one is obviously the opinions of fans and media mm. um, the proliferation of social media Facebook as well as YouTube have allowed fans to convey opinions over everything to do with soccer uh, and this obviously makes soccer a much more vibrant as well as probably opinionated uh, topic um, secondly everyone's an armchair Alex Ferguson mm. everyone is an opinion and this is what brings again the community of football together. But the game itself has also changed. Uh, the way it's played, um, the demands that we have on players. Um, just a few facts, the fun facts that we have. When I started watching soccer, the average distance covered by a player is about 9 kilometers. Um, today it's pushing 12. The game is faster, it's more intense. And the question for all of us is that the game doesn't stay still, it keeps evolving. Even your competition evolves. Mm. You can see people, uh, the countries in ASEAN have started to develop their soccer system to an extent that is becoming a lot more competitive, not just among the five teams that used to anchor ASEAN, but now eight, nine, ten teams that are able to compete almost at an equal level. And this obviously makes soccer a very, very interesting place to be. So if you ask the question, where are we in soccer? We, like every other country, are in a state of development. We need to move our soccer because it keeps evolving all the time to a higher plane. We obviously want the national team to do better and you can see the results of the World Cup qualifying. We are outperforming ourselves. We are above two countries which are ranked much higher than us in the FIFA mm -hmm. team. But at the same time, we have probably see, disappointments you know, in the SEA Games campaign which we didn't make the semi-finals. Mm -hmm. We have some dis disappointment in the age group uh, uh, tournaments where our teams are perhaps being rolled over a little bit too easy. Mm. So it's a mixed bag. But I think, again, the focus of all of us is to look forward and to see how we can develop uh, the game as we progress in the future. Okay, thank you, Bernard. Colin Chi, uh, you're a former general manager of uh, you know, Sporting Africa and SLIC Club, SPL Club, also assistant national team manager several, almost two decades ago. A hardcore Singapore fan, where is Singapore football today? Start of a new decade. I think when you ask me this question, I have to ask uh, myself, are we answer with true honesty 
and humble. Because football is not just about uh, on paper. You know, decades, we talk about decades. Those days, as you remember, people work very hard. But these days, due to technology, due to comfort lifestyles, things change. So I think what I think we really need to start over again from ground zero is to tune our mindset. Because those days when we have a Singapore pledge on our chest, this means everything. It's pride. We go home, we show to our mom, you know, dad, we say, friends. But I think these days, what does it mean to have a flag on our chest? I don't know. I went to schools, I did some project, morning national uh, anthems. When they sing, do they have pride? So I think we have to go back to ground zero. It's education. Start over again. Um, I don't think we should blame anybody. This is a new world. Mm. Either we face it, change it, go with it, and make it a better place. This is what we lack of now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also joining us is Shasi Kumar, former professional player and also ex-coach of Woodlands Wellington FC. Shasi, where is Singapore football today? Well, if I have uh, to be frank, first of all, thanks for having me uh, in, in this debate. Uh, you know, as an ex-player, ex-coach as well, and now right now I'm teaching uh, as well, uh, been walking the grounds in terms of looking at players, youth players as well. Mm. And to be really f- frank, I think uh, we don't have a plan. I, mm. and, and again, I think we spoke off air. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There is no one plan and then you know, everything fits like a glove. So it is a complex problem here in Singapore. You know, it's not like we, we can't compare us to Finland, we can't compare us to Germany. Iceland. Iceland. Mm. We, we, we can compare in terms of mindset, mm. attitudes, yeah. you know, the, the, the way they do things, and, but obviously not the exact processes. But at the same time, I think, to be fair, uh, like I said before, I, I think we have a KPI, for example, but we are not looking at this here, the processes that leads us to that uh, goal. You know, I'm, we, are, we are so obsessed about a goal, but we, don't, we are not obsessed about how we get there. Mm. You know, so I think we, we need a plan, and at the moment, we, we're, we're not heading in the right direction. Okay, so it's not a one-stop yeah. solution? Yeah, of course. Uh, there are several layers to this complex problem. I think uh, let's address some of the problems. Uh, Can I, I just pause there? Sure. Yeah. I think we have plans. We okay. have a series of plans. We have Goal 2010. Yeah. We have you know, other, other interim plans in the, behind it. I think the key question is to ask why those plans didn't work. Mm. Right? Um, I think good intentions are there. Um, question is obviously in implementation. And in implementation, you have to ask yourself whether you have the correct resources, whether you have whether those intentions can be translated into action. Yeah. You know, like for example, let's get every ch- child to play soccer. Yeah. Great intention, but who decides? The FS doesn't decide. It's parents. It's kids. Yeah. It's schools. Yeah. Right. Mm. So, to translate from that intention to actually action requires a little bit more thinking. So maybe perhaps I would just paraphrase. Plans have been there. Mm. The question is. We failed in implementation. Let's think carefully how do we get over that hurdle. Actually, it's a very good point. I was involved in 2010. I sits in the marketing. I think one of the biggest challenge we have here is finding the right person to execute the plan. Top to bottom. We have always been doing that. But who are those from the bottom that have the skill set to execute it? 
And the day-to-day process, who is the one monitor to see how far are we? I think we've been trying to hire foreigners, we've been trying to hire, pay top money to Singapore guys and doing all sorts of things. But I think, I, I don't think Sasi is trying to say we don't have a plan. I think what Sasi is trying to say is that how do we execute this plan? How do we get there? I think, no, I don't blame him. Perhaps, you know, he doesn't see the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think going back to what you said, yeah. there can be plans or the, the, the processes or whatever. I think what we don't have is people pulling and pushing in the same direction. Like you said, it's not FAS mm. yeah, it's it's not. To, to engage the schools, for example. Mm. That's just an example, right? But then, everybody's got to be pushing and pulling in the same direction. So if everybody has got their own uh, plans and agendas and whatever, Nothing's going to work, mm. you know. So, I, I, I yeah, think we should, yeah, yeah. should move on and then speak That's about right. how we can. Uh, because <laughs> we just touched on like four or five points yeah, in the yeah, last yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. So, let's regroup again. We are warming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a great start. Um, national playing style. Do we actually have an actual national playing style? Why are we still relying on playing down the flanks and then pumping the, the ball into the box looking for that lone striker? Um, Bernard, maybe you want to, maybe you're going to share with us whether do we actually have an actual national playing style? So that's a great question. Uh, I must tell you this uh, uh, story because I think it's useful to, and I'm going to leave the names out, but you can probably mm. guess who the actors <laughs> are. When I first went into, the, uh, uh, into FAS, I had a lunch with a potential national coach. Mm. And I was advocating for Singapore soccer to move towards the modern style of playing. Mm. Um, which obviously was a mixture between what Barcelona was doing with their tiki-taka as well as maybe perhaps what Jurgen Klopp is doing now with Liverpool. Mm. A high-intensity, high-press game, uh, lots of running, uh, emphasis on offensive play and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, And I thought that was a good way for us to implement it. We also had the tools that Michel Sablon had just been brought in and obviously Mm. Belgium, the golden generation that they are now, Engage in a very offensive 4-3-3 way of playing. Michel Sablon is the, was the technical director. Technical director, right, yes. Technical director. So he had just come in and he also was propagating this. But the national coach was very clear in one thing. He said to me, Bernard, I am paid to get results. Mm. And I can do whatever fancy play I want. If I don't get the results, my head is on the line. Yeah. And so, if you are looking for a coach to implement that phase of play, that's not me. Mm. I'm going to go to do whatever gets me a result, right? And because I was very new then, um, I accepted it. Yeah. I thought, yeah, maybe I've got a lot to learn, right? It's, it's, it's all about results and not about the style of play. Mm. Seven years on, I think it's about the style of play. If you do not have a national style of play, the entire development of players will be very different. If we want a high-pressing, high-intensity game, the thinking of how you drill players from the start needs to come into play. Give an example, a women's team. I keep asking the national coach, right? Because they start late. Women start late. For some reason, for our, uh, in our country right now, if you get in the national women's team, many of them take it up only at 15 to 19 years old. Right? And they're athletically very good. But to learn the habits of how to play that high pressing game. It's not done over four years. It's done over a whole series of 10 years. You need to develop technical skills. You need to uh, uh, understand the positional play as well as the fitness required to actually achieve it. So to me, paramount. Singapore needs a national style of play. 
Okay, Colin, why do you suppose we are still sorely lacking the quality of our strikers and goal poachers? International problem, it's just not Singapore. Okay. You look at EPL, such an established uh, global uh, league. league yeah. mm-hmm. But who is the top two striker now? Harry Kane? Raheem Sterling? Mm. Who else? Maybe, maybe Salah and uh, Mane? No, no, no. I'm talking about England British. national England, team. sorry. Oh, England. Yeah. Yeah. You okay, see, okay. they themselves struggle too. Okay. I think, I think, let's go back to how Fandi Ahmad was uh, developed. You know, 12, 13 years. So you're right, Bernard. You know, somebody will have to know that this guy is a potential player. The coach had to give young player a chance. Fandi played for national team at 16 years old, 17 years old, he scored against Malaysia national team. Where this confidence come from? The coach. To me, um, the league, the league itself, need to have coaches who are able to find uh, the raw diamonds, to groom them. To me, this is a challenge that all the clubs will have because do they have the network do they, because all the coaches will send you CV and they are so impressive. Do you have somebody who take the effort to do the due diligence to check on this coach, to know the background? Now, this is not just through paper. This needs network to go to the extra mile. And I think uh, if we want to have strikers, uh, we need coaches like this. Okay. Shasi, there's common feedback over the years. You know, many claim that our best players still lack the basic fundamentals, trapping the ball, uh, dribbling, passing, passing the ball straight from one from one player to another player, you know, without the ball bouncing and uh, all those basic fundamentals. So do you think right now, at the moment, even on the, on the grassroots level and the private academies, whether the coaches are focused on really uh, training their, their, their trainees with the basic fundamentals or is it just Okay, as long as you can play a little bit, then we'll just move on. You know, there's no, there isn't a strong, um, I think you know what I'm getting at. Uh, I've been walking the grounds uh, over the past few years, you know, going to academies as well, as well, watching, uh, you know, the boys and the coaches, active SG as well. Yeah. You know, so, so uh, you will be surprised, you will be surprised to see there has been some absolutely brilliant coaches out there. Yeah. You know, at youth levels and at grassroots level, they, they, they've been very, very good. And when, when I say good, obviously, it is uh, subjective. Mm. It's, it's my view against yours. But really, they, they've been very, very good coach or there are very, very good coaches out there. And again, there are very, very good players out there at that level because of obviously the coaching and, and, and stuff like that. Mm. So it is, my, my question is, are we as a whole, as a nation, you know, I'm, I'm not going to blame FAS because obviously mm. they can't do everything, yeah. you know. My question is, has that boy, and a, a so-called 10-year-old player at maybe way down at Jurong East, you know, at block 257 or whatever block he is in, mm. has that boy been spotted? Mm. Is the cast, uh, is the net really out there? You know, because I really think in terms of coaches as well as uh, players at, at, very, at, at very young uh, ages, they are there. It is obviously about spotting them. Yeah. It's about getting them in. And then from there, obviously, and then which translates to what Bernard has said about the, the, the playing style, the national playing style. You can't have a playing style when they are 19 years old because mm. it's all gone. They, if, if they can't 
are pressed, they can't play at a high intensity at 19 years old, something is wrong. Mm. It has got to go down at lower levels. And obviously they can't do it at that intensity at, at 9, mm. but it's building blocks, right? So by the time they reach 16, 17, 18, they are ready. Tactically, they are good enough. They, physically, they are good enough. They, they are ready to go. And then you, you build on it in terms of tactical, and, uh, tactical stuff. And just going back to what Bernard said about the, mm. the national coach as well. The national coach, or sorry, the, the one who was interviewed, mm, mm, mm. he's not wrong as well. You know, I mean, if I'm going to be interviewed as a national coach coming in and, and you're going to say to me that, okay, you're going to play in this style, and I'm, I'm looking at my players, my players don't have it. Yep. Right? Mm. So he, the, the coach that he interviewed wasn't wrong as well. You know, I, I, mm, I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at it, so, and, and, and then it goes all the way back to grassroots level. Yep. You know, so I think there are good coaches out there. You know, I think we can tap into, into their expertise. I just feel that we need more engagement with the local academies. And obviously, they are private owned. Yeah. It's all about money, yeah. right? But if we can really engage them, get these coaches on board, get, get that, that there is a way, if there is a way, you know, we, we can work it out, you know? And I think uh, there are, are good people out there. So setting aside the private academies, I posed a similar question to mm-hmm. Alexander Durich, former national striker, and he's the principal of uh, Active SG's football uh, you know, uh, academy as well. So, and they are training the, the kids as young as three, all the way to the age of 16. Uh, this year, they've expanded from 13 to 15 uh, training centers around the country. They've got 3,000 trainees across the island. And uh, so I asked him, so do you, do your coaches, I, I think we all know most of the coaches, they're all ex-national players. Do your coaches actually, you know, really get down to the ground and, and fundamentally train them the basics? He says it's a balance of both. They train the basics and then 50% they train the attitude of the player as well. Because it's no point that they just learn the basics of the game and then they have a wrong attitude and they grow up and they pick up all the wrong habits. So it's a balance. Uh, but they don't really go really in-depth if, uh, if they spot a prodigy or something. That one is done at a much later stage, maybe when they are 12 or 13 or something like that. So that's, that's where Active SG is at the moment. Mm. Um, yes, but I'll, uh, I'll just pick up on the two points that have been made. Yeah. So, so Colin made the point about strikers. So again, I got another story. Mm. So one of my first sessions of watching the national team play, uh, train, was at Geylang, uh, the field at Geylang. And um, the drill was basically left back, passes to a midfielder, midfielder does a wall pass, left back overlaps. It crosses for the striker, the striker takes it first time, mm. Mm. right? Mm. And they were repeating this multiple times, right? Um, there was no goalkeeper. No goalkeeper. Yeah, no goals. The <laughs> out of five, the striker scored one. Oh. Open goal, right? Because it was done at pace. Mm. It was done at pace. And the coach leaned over to me and says, in Europe, for our youth team, it'll be four out of five. Mm. So it tells you, right, that even like even at the level of the national the technical skill of the striker to actually meet mm. a moving ball at first time is actually quite low. Yeah. Now, uh, why is this? My argument would he didn't do this from the age of twelve. If he had practiced this high intensity, very quick passing game without stopping the ball, he would probably have four out of five. So it comes back again to the style of play. You, if this is what you demand, then this is what you trade, right? 
And the thing that makes a player good is coach will tell you is repetition. You need to do it every day 50 times, mm -hmm. 60 times, 70 times. I told you the story. Yeah. You know, when I went to visit Arsenal, right, one of the magical things that Arsene Wenger brought to the game is to pass the ball quickly on the floor. Mm -hmm. The ball is never bobbling because it makes it easy for the player to look up and control the ball because he knows exactly that the ball will be stopped. I watch a lot of our games. You'll be surprised how many of our balls are flat. They are usually bobbling. Question again, why is that? In Arsenal, if the player kicks the ball and it's bobbling, he is made to go and practice two hours on himself until he can get it right. So the question I'll ask is how many of our coaches do this? How many of our coaches actually train the player to play in this style, right, in training? And if they do it repeatedly, we will get there. Mm. So I put this question to our technical director. He said, but how many of our coaches actually do insist on these standards? He very few. So I think there's also something to be said about not only the style of play, but the coaching infrastructure yeah, mm. to insist, right, that these are the kinds of standards that we want to develop. That's just on technique. Mm. Tactical play is another thing. If you want to play a high line, there are certain habits you need to have. Right? There are certain characteristics you need to have. Do we want to play a high line? In most modern soccer, they will tell you yes. Unless you are going to be the low block and you know going to defend. Right? You need to do that because you need to compress the play and you need to make sure that we, who are Asians and slightly shorter than people, are not susceptible to the long ball. If we are going to come back in a box, we better have towering defenders than hit clear, right? Mm. But usually the Europeans are bigger in physique than us. The Japanese decided this. And so Japan as a country have a style of play that they will always push up. They will always push up. And they rely on a quick centre-back to cover if the ball goes over the top. Mm. Right? So I think those are the yep. kinds of things that we really need to develop in the system. We need to get down to the nitty-gritty, you know to really understand system of play, mm. how you coach to develop a striker. But last one, I agree with you. And this is the really the big thing that for me. In the SPL, do we have local strikers playing? If I'm going to allow two foreigners, three foreigners to come into the SPL, what positions would they be? Inevitably, they'd be a striker. And so they deprive all the locals mm. from actually getting game time. How do we develop a striker system? This is a big conundrum to me. Yeah. We'll come to the SPL in a minute. Let's touch on facilities and infrastructure. I mean, I think we're all about the same age group. Um, I mean, 70s, <laughs> 80s. You, you are the yeah. youngest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, we, I, I'm sure all of us had the chance to play under the Void Decks before the Void Decks was banned. And then uh, we were playing small fields. I remember going down to a, there's a field just in front of my block. Uh, and then the HDB decided to put build a table just to prevent us from playing. But we still went and played around the table. And then when, uh, when, we, when we grew up, we used to crawl into schools and play because there was no pitches. You know, all the fields were disappearing. So is that, and, and uh, the kids of today, they now have to go and book schools on the weekend or they have to go and book a private futsal court, pay money, $10, $15. Football used to be free. So how do you expect a teenager to go and cough out $20 you know, a week just to play a game? So is that, uh, Colin first. Is that an issue? I mean, how do we address the issue of the lack of playing options in the neighbourhood? I completely disagree. Uh, I think, take for example, mm. uh, my folks, the area they live, right opposite there's a park mm. with football, go with goal poles, huge pitch, properly done. Which area is this? Serangoon North. Okay. 
weekdays, I visited them quite often, mm. weekdays, weekend, I hardly see any goals there playing football. So nobody's playing? Nobody. You see, even the area that I live, there are two parks, small little parks. If you're really serious about football, you bring the ball there, you drill, you do your footwork. You see, those are our time mm. that we really want to play football. I think we cannot just blame on the pitches. If you have passion, you want to play football, there's many, many ways for you to achieve that. Mm. I started as a goalkeeper. You know, to train as a goalkeeper, my family wall have so many of ball, you know, the marks. marks. Every day I just show, bum, 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 bum. My neighbor say, what are you doing? I say, hey, forgive me, I'm trying to be a goalkeeper. <laughs> you see, this is what we are lacking of today. Yeah. We, a lot of Facebook, a lot of uh, social, social media. media to learn. But you have to come up to get it, to achieve it. Mm. You know, and, and you know, um, let me just don't miss out any part. Well, before you go on, I just uh, want to say this. Yeah. So this is another of those drills that you do, you know. So apparently to be a goalkeeper, you need to kick the ball against the wall and catch it a hundred times without dropping the ball. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is what you call drilling. We, we, we knew that. And we did that void decks. Those uh, days void decks allowed us. And you know, and the other thing is that I, I think um, we need the motivation to get them out. Yeah. We need a major tournament. Uh, we need to win a major tournament. Uh, not hmm. the Tiger Cup, sorry. <laughs> to me, yeah. Yeah. or even Suzuki Cup yeah. we, we need to go beyond that yeah. then I think the kids will start to come up and say wow or oh, we need a superstar mm. Fundy play mm. you know we see Sundram mm. you know those are the time that David Lee they play at the highest level in, in this region now we need heroes at this level so do not blame on the pitches mm. I think it's not fair to blame on Sports SG Sports Castle whoever we have pitches. Mm. If you want to play, mm. look at Brazil, look at all those streets. They are playing the alleys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Africa, mm. I was scouting players. You know what they're playing? Tennis. Tennis ball, they're controlling. Mm. If you want to play, there's always place and, and area and way to play. But are we lacking in terms of facilities in the neighborhoods? I think it's again not one issue. So you, you provide the facility, so it you know, may not be actually something that, that works. Social changes have taken place. Mm. Uh, there are a lot more distractions for kids today. <coughs> I made the argument at first, if you come from a middle class and above family, tuition competes against playtime. Um, <coughs> you, the way that most of us learn how to play was either at home or at school. And so free play in school is also very important. Mm. Right? And that's also been curtailed <coughs> for two or three reasons. First, safety. Schools now are deemed to be very responsible for any kid, any injury that happens in school. Mm. So obviously the way to avoid injuries don't play at all. Mm. Right? That's extreme. And we want to find a middle ground. The second one is obviously, you know, um, other activities that should take uh, take place. So <coughs> most kids in school have CCAs. Mm. And you're supposed to work on CCA and not just go and play in the field, you know. In those days in, in, in my primary school days, that's how we learn how to play. Yeah. Right? So social changes have taken place. Now, now of course, the digital um, device is taking over all our lives. And to get a kid to go out and play is also very difficult. But there are redeeming features. If we were to ask an average class of boys in primary school, do you want to play soccer? 50% will put up their hands. And I still believe it. It's still one of those easiest to organize games. Put two bags, one ball, you kick. People say it's dangerous at, at primary school level. 
I don't, I can't see people sliding tackle and doing kung fu mm-hmm. kicks, right? Mm-hmm. It's all just playing and kicking the ball on the ground. It's one of the easiest games to play and learn. Uh, and it's, of course, very well publicized through the whole world, right? I mean, you watch it on TV all the time. So even if you want to avoid watching soccer, you, you get to see it. So I think really what we need to do is to study why kids are not participating, why kids are not playing. Is it really because we lack a void deck? I think it's a contributory factor, but we are not going to reintroduce it. Yeah. There are less open spaces left in Singapore. I remember when I was growing up, I lived in Marine Parade. The entire ECP was open for yeah. us to play, <laughs> right? But now when you build everything up, that's not, we're going to come back. So we need to, to be, be clever. It used to be those basketball courts, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basketball yeah. Play court soccer. That was yeah. the best days of our lives. Mm-hmm. After school, you know, you just yeah. kick from two to two. Uh, so yeah. it's... Again, just going back to what Colin and, and Bernard said, I, I think it's a combination of both. It has been a contributory factor, the Void Decks and all. But then, Fandi Ahmad didn't make it big because of the Void Deck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, all these best players didn't make it because of the Void Deck. So, yeah. I, I, I know, I, I think I, I, I can uh, sympathise or, or mm-hmm. empathise with him. There's, there's this huge futsal court near to Serangoon Central at Nix, just beside Nix, mm-hmm. you know. And beside, mm-hmm. just in front of the mall, there is a free workout where they do Zumba and all. Mm. There are more people there than in football. There was, it's, it's empty, you know. So you can see it's it's happening, you know. There's more participants in Zumba and football. The futsal court is empty. Mm. So we need to look at why, you know. It's obviously it's the games, the yeah, social yeah. media, the, the the tuitions and and, and you know. Yeah. All busy what, playing what FIFA. Yeah. Twenty twenty. Okay. Uh, the, just one more point, just to also, so. You know, I've heard many, again, for seven years, right, because I'm in the administration, I've heard many descriptions of what needs to stimulate kids to, to play. But this is, again, my personal view, right? A kid can grow up wanting to be Ronaldo. Mm. He doesn't even have to be Fundy. Is that dream uh, detached from him? The answer is no. If you're a kid born in Singapore, you can be the world's best soccer player if you wanted to. Right? Mm. You can actually be that. And increasingly, we're seeing evidence of players from Asia making it big in Europe and continue to break boundaries. Mm. Why can't a Singaporean do that? So that's the first thing I would have. The second, you know, people are, are, are always asking, you know, oh, you know, uh, it's not a career because the SPL plays too low. Mm. My gosh, if our ambition of our soccer player is to play in the SPL, I would argue give up soccer. I want the ambition of our soccer players growing up at six, seven, eight years old to play in Europe. Right? And they don't pay badly. Mm. Right? That's the kind of ambition I want to have. So I don't think anything we do in Singapore should actually affect the ambition of a keen youngster. He's got to look global. Okay. If he's looking local, give it up. I don't think an Icelandic player looks local. I don't think an Omani player looks local. Mm. He looks at Europe. Just one more point on the infrastructure before we turn the attention to the Singapore Premier League or the SPL. We know that uh, the area around the sports hub is being developed into, you know, it's part of the Kalang Alive project. Uh, there are four 11 assigned pitches coming up. I believe uh, one is indoors and then there's four futsal pitches as well. I think uh, we spoke off camera as well. You said if if you had a venue, if it was open for naming rights, uh, maybe you'd be open to well, one of my arg- the sponsor. One of my arguments is actually we should uh, dedicate some facilities for development. Mm. Right, and uh, I think of the four pitches, one actually, if just to share with everybody, is a replica of the uh, sports hub pitch. And this is obviously to warp, allow the warm-up and not occupy the, the get used to the surface. Mm. So it will be a complete replica and that will actually be for elite soccer only. 
program, and that's only second. But the rest, the three pitches are actually open to the public. Um, they will be on synthetic pitches, and I know people argue whether synthetic is bad or good. I will argue, from my own personal point of view, that synthetic pitches are probably good for Singapore for two reasons. Number one, we live in the tropics where it rains all the time, yeah. and you can't afford the pitches to be muddy and unusable half the time. We want intense use of the pitches. Number two, for development, I argue it won't make a difference. Uh, in fact, actually, for synthetic pitches, sometimes the ball weaver moves faster, right? So it mm -hmm. creates even a, a better reaction. Mm -hmm. um, and to adapt that to the grass, I don't think the basic skills will change that much. So I'm actually for it. My argument for the, the four pitches was to dedicate one for kids mm -hmm. and to actually make it safe for kids, a place where you have, you know, a smaller goalposts that you can be moved just to dedicate for the development of children. My argument again is that unless we get more kids playing and more kids developing at the elite level, uh, it's very hard for us to build a national.